This is the Get a Game Plan podcast hosted by the Louisiana Governor's Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness, or GOSEP. I'm Mike Steele, the Communications Director for GOSEP. Thank you for joining us. Today we are highlighting a topic that is currently being addressed in Louisiana, but there could also be an impact to other states after a disaster. As we approach the height of the 2019 hurricane season, FEMA and GOSEP would like to ensure private nonprofit or PNP religious organizations are aware of recent changes to the public assistance program. FEMA's Public Assistance RPA program provides grants to state, territorial, Indian, tribal, and local governments, as well as certain types of PNP organizations. FEMA provides funding to entities to assist with response and recovery efforts of the community. FEMA funding can be used to repair or replace damaged facilities back to its pre-disaster design, function, and capacity. Both interviews on this episode will focus on the positive impact this could have on organizations following a disaster. Before we get to our interviews, we like to start each episode with an emergency preparedness tip. We often talk about certain topics on this podcast, emergency kits, food and water supplies, family and business communication plans. Today, we have numbers that give us a little insight on preparedness across the nation. A recent survey by the U.S. Census Bureau provided this information. 58.6% of homes have at least three gallons of water for each person in the family, while 81.3% have enough food for everyone to last three days. Only 52.9% of families indicated they have a prepared emergency supply kit in place. Only 36.5% of households have an emergency meeting location, and 26.4% have a communication plan, mainly someone to check in with outside your home region, should cell service become disrupted. There were a few positive numbers. 91% of households have vehicles they say are reliable to help them evacuate at least 50 miles from home, while 75.6% say they have at least $2,000 in financial resources to help with that type of evacuation. These numbers are interesting, but hopefully you, your family, and your business are hitting higher marks. There are a number of emergencies that could happen with little or no notice, and history has proven that those who are prepared often get through a disaster much easier than those who are not prepared. That is today's preparedness tip. Moving on to our first interview, Shane Belazo is principal with Apostolic Christian School in Lafayette. The school is a public assistance applicant related to the 2016 floods here in Louisiana. For those of you not familiar with those flood events, 90% of our parishes, our counties here in Louisiana, were impacted by those floods. Some areas were hit twice. We also have Eddie Williams with FEMA joining us for this portion of the interview. Guys, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Mr. Malazzo, if you could start by telling us what type of impact did the church and the school see after the 2016 flood? Uh, It was catastrophic. Um, Every single building uh, on the campus was flooded. Uh, We're talking about uh, a sanctuary slash auditorium complex, a cafeteria complex, and uh, 10 peer buildings 
on the campus. Um, and ironically enough, this flood and unnamed storm happened about 72 hours uh, before the first day of school. So uh, when we all woke up on that very memorable day of August the 12th, 2016, uh, I literally, through the camera system, was watching the school real time um, go underwater. And it was, um, it was surreal to say the least. And the first word that came to my mind uh, when we started communicating via text with various people was catastrophic. That's amazing. You know, and, and it's so hard to describe to people in other parts of the country how devastating, you know, that flood event was. Because like you said, it was an unnamed storm. Uh, it didn't get the attention maybe a hurricane or a tropical storm would get. Uh, but the but the impacts were just as devastating in many ways. Um, we are really trying to help and work with FEMA to get the word out about this type of assistance for religious organizations how did you find out that, that you were possibly eligible, and how did you get the ball rolling? Well, immediately uh, after the flood happened and we were able to get back on the campus, um, we started, that week, we started looking into FEMA. Uh, the pastor and overseer, the pastor of the congregation, the overseer of the school, uh, asked me to get, uh, to, to start looking into any possible FEMA since uh, that we would qualify for. So we went to the website, we went to the governor's office of Homeland Security, uh, and emergency preparedness website. We started making phone calls and, uh, that, that ball was rolling, uh, literally while we were, you know, busting out, uh, you know, sheetrock and all of that sort of thing. So you had, had everything going at one time. So as we said, Eddie Williams with FEMA is also uh, joining us for this portion of the interview. Eddie, I know there's been a lot more uh, attention to this type of assistance and a lot more effort to get the word out. Why is it important uh, to, to help these type of organizations when they're dealing you know, with this type of impact? Well, from a federal perspective, we realized um, that the church is central to um, to a, a whole community recovery um, environment. And if we were going to truly um, live up to our expectation that the community is the first line of defense and the response and recovery from an event, uh, we knew that we had to do something to acknowledge um, that expectation. And fortunate, I guess, for, for us, the um, the ability to do something about that was uh, based off of a June 26, 2017 uh, court case that was um, held in the United States Supreme Court between Trinity Lutheran Church of Columbia versus Colmore uh, County. Um, it was a situation where the the, the courts ruled that uh, the, nat- the Department of Natural Resources, another federal agency, uh, was improper in denying funding to um, a religious entity on the basis of this religious activity. It was that case that uh, gave FEMA the ammunition to basically uh, look at its policies, regulations, and statutes to recognize that Supreme Court decision and understand that uh, regardless of the fact that uh, a religious entity utilize the facility specifically for religious activities, that facility and those entities were still providing a valuable 
uh, essential governmental service. You know, that's that's so right. And with many, especially the recent disasters, uh, so many of our faith-based organizations and our houses of worship, you know, they always come through uh, helping the public. So it's it's great to know that there's this type of emphasis uh, being placed on, on these types of organizations. Exactly. Shane, going back to your situation with the school in Lafayette, um, we understand that you guys were offered uh, some support initially, but you were able to really kind of magnify that support uh, by really kind of selling your case to FEMA. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And so what what type of assistance have you received kind of long-term now? Well, um, of course, it was, uh, let me say that FEMA, the FEMA assistance was absolutely uh, essential. Um, and, and basically, initially, we tried to uh, remodel uh, our cafeteria and, and repair our sanctuary. We couldn't do anything with the pier buildings. And we uh, noticed some major, major slab movement. We got a geotech company involved, and we learned that the slabs had um, voids all over the place. And so what ended up happening was the buildings that we were in were also condemned. In other words, the buildings that we renovated to try to have school while we were trying to deal uh, with recovery, all of those were condemned and we had to get out of the buildings immediately. We didn't even have a week to get out of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were considered uninhabitable. And at that point, uh, it was almost worse than the flood because right after the flood, at least we had buildings that we thought we could go to. Um, and do some renovations while we tried to have some semblance of normalcy. And uh, I'll never forget that day either uh, in July of 2018 when every building was basically condemned. Had it not been for FEMA, A, helping us with the funding of the original temp campus, which was in those renovated buildings, and B, approving uh, a new campus in some Butler buildings, um, we, we would have been absolutely devastated, uh, as a school, uh, as a church. And as Mr. Williams said, as a community, we're talking about hundreds upon hundreds of people's lives. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to bring to bear the journey that this has been almost three years, other than to say that, um, initially we had gotten some assistance. But through the efforts of GoStep, through the efforts of FEMA, through our efforts, through the efforts of the consultants that were helping us and a host of engineers and and so many other people involved, it became clear that what we were in was no longer going to work. And we had to move on to to a totally different set of buildings, a totally different infrastructure. And not only were the temporary buildings, the second temporary campus, not only was that approved, which was a lifesaver for our entire community. But uh, we also were awarded a 428 grant, which is a grant to rebuild. And I'm very happy to say that the architect has been procured and we anticipate breaking ground in our new facilities uh, in March of 2020. And that is going to be a joyful day, to say the least. That's that's great to hear. Do you feel you know, a sense of optimism with the students and the families, you know, knowing that that that, uh, finish line, I guess, is is in sight now? Oh, absolutely. The pastor and overseer 
uh, talks often about the buildings that are coming. Um, in the school, we talk often about it. Uh, everyone is just so happy, so eager. Um, what we have termed this year as our school theme, we're calling it Vision 2020. Uh, we're not looking toward the past. We're looking toward the future. And uh, we can't wait till the schematics are done because at that point, um, we plan on putting the, uh, the schematics and the drawings and the picture in the foyer um, of the Sanctuary Auditorium, which it, I didn't mention that, but the Sanctuary Auditorium is actually a very large tent. It's heated. It's cooled. Hmm. Uh, we have insulation there. And uh, it's working out well um, as a temporary facility for a sanctuary and auditorium complex until we get to the next phase of uh, getting into our new buildings. That is really great to hear. So, Eddie, we have a lot of listeners, obviously, in Louisiana because of our location. But we also have listeners, you know, around the country and even around the world in some cases. If if other people are out there and they're they're dealing with a similar type of event, what should they do? Is it important to make sure they, they document everything if you're involved with this type of organization or, or a faith-based organization? What are some of the steps people should really pay attention to? Well, one of the first things that I would advise um, the religious institutions to do is, uh, because we know immediately after the events, they become the first line before and during the events as shelters. And the first thing that I would advise them to do is to, uh, prior to an event, coordinate with their local jurisdictions, their parish, their their um, leadership to get recognized as a shelter. Because if there is an event and they serve as a shelter, uh, the funding that they could get to help offset the cost of hosting that shelter will only be provided through the local jurisdiction. It can't be provided directly to the church. So because I know that that's a big thing that the churches do, I want to make sure that they understand that that's how they get mm-hmm. assistance for serving as a shelter. Outside of that, for the damages that they realize to their facilities, first and foremost, to recognize that uh, if they're going to be going through FEMA's public assistance program uh, and, and they're going to be procuring services, goods, or whatever it is, they're going to definitely need to make sure that they're following federal procurement um, requirements and they can get that assistance, uh, information about that and the requirements from uh, the Governor's Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness, GOSEP, on their website, uh, lapa.gov, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Um, they can get that information on proper procurement, uh, recognize that they need to document everything, everything from uh, even volunteer efforts, volunteer donated hours, volunteer donated resources, document that information um, and make sure that they have that information available to provide to FEMA uh, when they they request public assistance. And, you know, from that, just be available and ready to uh, engage uh, GOSEP first and then FEMA to um to have their damages assessed would be what I would advise them to do in preparation for uh, any, any event where FEMA funding may be available. You know, we often talk about how tedious and cumbersome things can be during the recovery process. But on the flip side, it's important to remember that these are, are taxpayer dollars that we're dealing with. So there's a lot of steps necessary to make sure that 
that things are being handled the right way and that uh, everything is being done the way it should be done. Uh, but we appreciate you guys joining us. Shane, congratulations on on, on where you're at uh, with getting the school and the church back. Uh, any Anything you want to tell the public in the Lafayette area uh, as far as contact information for you guys? Well, I, I would say that I would say this. Um, just one thing that I would like to, to leave the interview with is in terms of, of our personal lessons learned, right, mm-hmm. for, for people just in mind uh, from the applicant perspective. Number one is know what you don't know and don't be afraid to ask questions. Get professionals to help you. Use the government resources that are around you to answer the questions and to get their expertise moving along in your situation. Work through the system. There will be good days and and there are bad days. There are days where things really go well and there are days where they may not go as well. But if you stay the course, work, work through everything that's there and and just make sure as Eddie had mentioned that you're doing everything according to the book and if you don't know if you don't know something ask the question if you're mm-hmm. unsure say or it goes a long way and yeah we're we're planning on breaking ground uh, at uh, 302 Town Center Parkway hopefully in March of uh, of March of 2020 in Lafayette uh, the pastor is surely excited. The pastor and overseer is surely excited. I'm excited, and everybody's very excited. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us, and uh, it's great to hear you guys are where you're at. Eddie, thank you for the information as well. Not a problem. Thank you. we'll move to the emergency resource segment for this episode. Does your business have a solid emergency plan? Go to getagameplan.org and click on the business tab to review the information GOSEP has available. Business continuity planning must account for all hazards, both man-made and natural disasters. Plan in advance to manage any emergency situation. Assess the situation, use common sense and available resources to take care of yourself, your co-workers, and your business's recovery. Carefully evaluate internal and external operations to determine which staff members, materials, procedures, and equipment are absolutely necessary to keep the business operating. When should you evacuate your business or shelter in place? How will you communicate with your employees if an evacuation is ordered? And do you practice your business's emergency plan? Those are just some of the topics for businesses at getagameplan.org. You can also find out more from our federal partners at ready.gov backslash business. Moving on to our second interview, Corey Watson is with the Family Center of Hope in New Orleans. He's the project manager dealing with ongoing recovery project with the center. Sir, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So just a little background, the Family Center of Hope operates as a holistic institution of education and social services from a faith-based perspective to the entire family. Those services are designed to address and affect change in the areas of community violence, drug use, school dropouts, teenage parenting, and other dysfunctions within families. At the core of the center's philosophy is a deeply embedded set of values about families and the nature of how help should be extended to them. 
So obviously this is something that every community needs, but you guys were really impacted by Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. Could you kind of tell us about that damage and, and what the center went through? Absolutely. Again, thank you for having us to discuss our story and to let everyone who's in the same position know that it's, they're capable of moving forward if they just hang in there. So right after Katrina, of course, the levees broke and our building, our facility received, I would say, about eight foot of water, flood water that came in and also wind damage to the roof that also allowed water to penetrate the facility, causing us to have to renovate the entire facility from the roof down to the foundation. Uh, also, because of the flood waters, um, our main exterior walls were very challenged and uh, they were actually... Uh, uh, having to have some more structural uh, support to be put into the building and the facility. As a result, we began to gut the entire building to allow for the building to be put back in use. So Hurricane Katrina hit the facility in uh, 2005, and we just were truly devastated, not knowing what we were going to do to get back into the facility. But uh, we persevered, and we are almost to the finish line. That's great to hear. And I'm sure a lot of your staff and, and the people that support the center probably had their own struggles as well going through Hurricane Katrina. Absolutely. We were all displaced, of course, throughout the entire country. People were uh, in Texas, Georgia, um, as far as Ohio, I mean, it's all over. So it was very hard and challenging, along with just communicating because uh, the 504 area code uh, for most people could not be uh, uh, connected to based upon antennas and uh, towers being down. So it was very hard to be, to communicate along with uh, families being challenged uh, individually with their homes and, and their places to live. So, yeah, it was very challenging. How long did you see the center's uh, activities disrupted because of the storm? We were disruptive uh, because of the storm, I would say, at least eight or so years. Wow. And we're still, yeah, pushing to get back online. Okay. For the, at that site, we have other sites that we would work through to keep the facility, go the, the services going. Yeah. But that site, it's been eight to, to nine years. Wow. So we kind of got some of the bad news out of the way. Yeah. What you guys, you know, the struggles that you guys went through. Tell us a little bit about the, the public assistance program for private nonprofits. Were you aware of this type of assistance right after the storm or, or had you ever heard of this before? No, we were not aware of it. Of course, uh, being displaced, the first thing, the only thing we were aware of was individual and personal support from FEMA uh, that was happening for lodging and food assistance to our individual uh, situations, but not for nonprofits and uh, others like our social agency to get it up and running. We did not know anything about it. However, uh, years later, we were invited to an orientation or, I guess, a um, workshop that spoke about assistance to uh, agencies like ours by uh, a local pastor here in New Orleans. Is that where the process got rolling? Is that where you guys really kind of stepped up uh, seeking that type of support? 
Absolutely. Uh, we went over to uh, the workshop. There were, I, I would say, about 50 or so agencies that were there. We sat and listened to the, uh, the presenter. That person began to tell us, give us hope, telling us, hey, it's going to happen. You can really count on this process because they had already gone through. Uh, however, it was a little challenge getting started. Initially, um, based upon whatever regs that were in place along with documentation needed, uh, I think we had a, a couple of hurdles to get over to get to where we are now. You know, that's a very good point, and we try to stress this with everyone. If you're ever faced with a disaster, and it doesn't matter if it's a homeowner you know, a business, a center like yourself, document everything you do every step of the way, right. because at some point that information could be uh, very valuable, you know, to help you with the recovery process. So absolutely, I, I appreciate you guys mentioning that. So where are you now? Is the center fully functioning again? And, and how long have you guys been kind of up and operating now? So the, the, the center is fully, uh, I would say about 95% complete. We're uh, putting the final touches on it, doing some final inspections. We'll be bringing in our, uh, the, the, the state fire marshal for occupancy and we'll be going full flesh. Uh, we have, again, as I stated earlier, we're doing services at our other location to continue our service to the community. But this is what we would call our uh, in the neighborhood flagship location to help families right boots on the ground. So we are about 95% there. That's great to hear. You know, so many times, uh, you know, we saw this back with the floods in 2016. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of times it's our faith-based organizations that really step up and get the community back on track. So it's great to know, you know, this assistance is out there. If, if, yeah. if there's other churches our centers may be kind of similar to what you guys do. If there's others out there, do you suggest they they look into this if, they, if they're faced with a similar situation? Absolutely. I definitely uh, suggest that they would uh, seek out this assistance because this assistance truly helped, I would say, bridge the gap to what we had already in place. Uh, it was, a, again, with Working with such a huge, uh, I would say, uh, organization as it relates to, uh, I should say, agency as it relates to FEMA, we did have a little uh, turnover on the FEMA side so that because of disasters taking place, uh, the same person may not be in place throughout the process. So we have to make sure, again, throughout the process on our end, we had every I dotted and every T crossed, all of the documentation that we need. It. Uh, but more, I guess, bigger. the bigger hope for us was that we knew that we would get to the finish line because the persons who were helping us from the FEMA side would leave their notes for the next person and they would pick it up uh, to get, you know, accustomed to what we were doing and then we would move forward. But yes, I would definitely say to any agency that's in need and needs uh, uh, support and help, they would look at this public assistance program and, and persevere and just stay in there and eventually they'll get to the, the finish line. 
You know, we mentioned at the start of the interview some of the services that you provide. So now that you guys are, are back up and, and almost operating at, at full speed, is there any contact information you'd like to share for the public if they want to uh, get in touch with you? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. The, uh, the, the contact information is 504 for the phone, 891-3264. And the uh, website they would go to is fchnola.org. Our mailing address is 4422 St. Charles Avenue. That's 70115 in New Orleans. And our physical address for the facility that we are working on, that's 90%, 95% complete, is 4137 Washington Avenue, New Orleans, Louisiana, 70125. All right. And the last thing, you know, I know there's been some challenges getting the population back uh, to New yeah. Orleans, trying to reestablish some of the subdivisions and and different parts of the city that, that were impacted the heaviest. Are you guys starting to see the people come back? Are your numbers uh, approaching where you want to be at this point? Yeah, we're starting to see people come back. Numbers are going up. Um, and based upon what we're doing, we in terms of our work, we get referrals. So we're starting to see uh, the, the people that we connect to begin to refer those families who need our services to us. Uh, but yes, the, um, New Orleans is coming back. And uh, I would say in 05, we were down, but we're, we weren't out. And now in 2019, as we continue to push forward to 2020, uh, we we have 2020 vision. <laughs> well, it's good to hear, you know, you see the headlines out, out of New Orleans a lot of times and you realize how important uh, these services are. So thank you for what you do and what the center does. And it's great to hear you guys are back on track. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. I truly appreciate it. And you guys have a great day. Thank you for joining us for our Get a Game Plan podcast. Please encourage others to share this resource and subscribe. We want to thank Shane Malazzo and Corey Watson for joining us for discussions about public assistance for PNP religious organizations. Don't forget to check out the resources we mentioned today to help you and your business finalize an emergency plan. You can find out more information on getagameplan.org. We also want to thank the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA, for use of their studio. Sign up to be an organ donor today. Find out more at donatelifela.org and check out their podcast, The Gifted Life Podcast. For more on most of the topics we talked about today, go to getagameplan.org and don't forget to follow GOSEP on Facebook and Twitter. Remember, get a game plan. On behalf of the staff at GOSEP, thanks for joining us. We'll have a new episode available next month. podcast is produced in partnership with LOPA and the Gifted Life Podcast. Find out more about organ, eye, and tissue donation by listening to the Gifted Life Podcast at thegiftedlife.org or download it from your favorite podcast app.